you need to pick a pig. Pick some hog. There's nothing better than just, yeah, they open up the grill and there's a pig on there. You pick out what you want, but you don't wear your banjo picks while doing that. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy you tuned in, whether this is a a regular thing for you or maybe we have some first-time listeners. And I, I often forget that some people might just pick this show up and not start from episode number one. So I should probably give a reset every once in a while. So those of you who are unfamiliar with me and the show... I'm Keith Billick, and I started this podcast because I desperately wanted to hear banjo knowledge go directly into my ear holes in the form of a podcast, and I just love hearing interviews with with great artists, and the fact that there was not a podcast like that for me to listen to, it just made me uh, think, well, maybe I got to do this myself. So if you are a banjo lover, a uh, banjo player, banjo enthusiast, you are uh, in the right spot, to say the least. So I'm happy that you're joining me. We do have another extra special listener to acknowledge today, and that's Joe Cunningham. Joe Cunningham is today's Patreon supporter of the show. He is a 48-year-old beginning player, picked it up during the pandemic. After hearing from uh, Ricky Meyer on this podcast, Joe is now a student of his. So there you have it, the podcast bringing people together, and I, I love to see that. Another way we're coming together as a podcast community is Joe is a frequent participator, participant, I guess is the word, in the monthly VIP lounges. The VIP lounges are a video meetup with me and your fellow listeners, and this month's video meetup is scheduled for July 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And how, you might ask, do I get my meeting link and, and figure out how to join up with everybody? You head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. So not only will you get to uh, hang out in the VIP lounge with, with me and the fellow listeners, you'll also have the deep, fulfilling satisfaction of knowing that you're helping this podcast to to keep running and continue to spread banjo knowledge all over the place. So once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. I really appreciate anyone who heads over there to pay me a visit. You can also visit me on social media. I'm on the Facebook. I'm on the Instagram. I'm on the Twitter. Don't make me dance on TikTok. I'm not quite up to that yet, but uh, you can find me there and I also love having listeners reach out to me directly. That can be done at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Thank you.
Today's featured guest is Andy Thorne. Now, Andy is more than just the banjo guy who went viral uh, for playing to his, his local friendly fox population. No, Andy is actually the person holding down the prestigious banjo chair for leftover salmon. So he has been a mainstay on the jamgrass scene for a long time and has really mastered the art of playing this highly improvisational type of music on both acoustic and electric banjo. So he's a highly respected guy, and it was a ton of fun not only hearing him play, but to be able to catch up and do this interview while I was at Delfest. Yeah, this is another Delfest interview. So put your hands together for Andy Thorne of Leftover Salmon. Howdy, howdy. Andy Thorne here. I'm a banjo player. That's why I'm on the Picky Fingers podcast today. It all makes sense now. It all makes sense now. It also makes sense that I'm from North Carolina. It's where all the best banjo players are from. That's my main uh, problem, I think. I think there's something in the water down there, but uh, that's why I ever ended up playing banjo, too. I bought one at my neighbor's yard sale when I was 12 years old. Oh, cool. And, yeah. And so why, that makes sense, but why did that catch your eye? Or was it just like a random... It was incredibly random. I was already playing some guitar and I'd taken some piano lessons, but uh-huh. I saw the banjo there and I was just like, oh man, this looks interesting. And it was only $50. So I actually didn't buy it that day, but it was sort of stuck in my head. And uh-huh. a week later we asked, did you, got, did you ever sell that banjo at the right. yard sale? And he hadn't, so... And how we old did you it. say you were? 12. I mean, so $50 is not very expensive for a banjo, but it's a right. lot of money for a 12-year-old. It is. I think my parents grabbed it. They've always okay. been supportive of my music habits. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they like bluegrass. And and so up until then, had you been exposed to banjo music or banjo players or anything like that? I think a bit through my parents listening to some bluegrass, but it, I wasn't drawn to banjo before just grabbing that banjo at the yard sale and that's really what led me into the banjo world was having one and saying oh i need to figure out what to do with this now yeah so 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 then (laughs) so then tell me how you figured it out i i started going to some festivals which was really cool and Mm -hmm. we had the carolina theater in durham i got to see all sorts of amazing bands there like doc watson and seldom seen with john duffy and, Uh and uh Sam Bush, all these great people came through there. So I got to see banjo players there. And I started just sort of learning on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, I got a music teacher, I think, in high school who actually didn't play banjo well at all. But um, he could sort of teach any instrument, even if he didn't play it. And that was a neat okay. way to learn because it wasn't a traditional banjo way to learn. All right. Um, but he taught me and my friends the Stickleys, yeah. and uh, it was really fun. He got us playing at these open mic nights and stuff. As a trio? As a trio, and we started uh-huh. a little band in high school, and that's where it really became fun for me, and I just realized, oh, I love playing music with my friends, writing songs, and getting gigs is even better, you know? Yeah, that sounds like it must have been an important part of it, that you had these like running buddies to just push each other along and to learn together. Exactly. See immediate results. Yeah. So what kind of, you said he wasn't able to teach you the, um, like a real traditional 
approach, but like what sort of music were you into? I imagine you were also soaking up some, uh, you know, listening to music. Yeah. He had tabs for us, which was cool. I mean, it's not the best way to learn always, but I totally learned from tab my whole life. (laughs) So I learned everything. And uh, so he could kind of, he had this way of memorizing a song. I can't remember like how many bars you would learn as you were going and then go farther and farther. So he was all about memorizing. You can't just read off the tab forever. Okay. And that's where you get to internalize a song. Yeah. So I was learning a lot of the standards that way through these tabs that he had for us. But I was definitely always more into the jam and jazz world. Okay. Um, I played guitar in the jazz band all through high school and college, and I actually have a degree in that. In from, like uh, traditional jazz, what, performance in, uh, or something? Jazz guitar, I guess. What is it? It's just a BA in music, uh-huh. but that was, that was really cool. Oh, interesting. So, so uh, obviously yeah. even through college, you were, would you say that you were primarily a guitar player? Not in any of my side bands, okay. you know what I mean? I, I, uh, it was easier to get gigs as a bluegrass group in North Carolina. I felt like, so that's, I ended up in more bluegrass bands on banjo than I did hmm. playing guitar, but I was always on guitar in the school big band. Got it. Got so it. it was fun to have a few different things going on like that. But in college, I joined this band called The Big Fat Gap, mm-hmm. and they've had a lot of people in and out. Ryan Cavanaugh was on banjo for a while. He was always on the scene. Yeah. And uh, we, we played like pig pickings, frat parties, weddings, and we stayed busy. We worked. Okay, this must be because I'm a Yankee, but what is a pig picking? A pig picking? Is it like a pig roast? Yeah. Is a d- different word for that? Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't know if there was like a, a, pig a special thing. Come on. You play banjo. <laughs> I we need you. to get you to a pig picking. I know. I, I need the North Carolina water. I need some of the, the culture, clearly. You need to pick a pig. Okay. Pick some hog. You sign me up. Just tell me <laughs> Tell me where to go. There's nothing better than just, yeah, they open up the grill and there's a pig on there and you pick out what you want. With the, the apple in its mouth. But you don't wear your banjo picks while doing that. I don't know. They might help. Maybe if you turn them the other, the other way. They might get your strings a little greasy. <laughs> hey, that cuts down on the pick noise, maybe, right? <laughs> so we played all those. <laughs> we, it was Once I got in a band like that and I realized, oh, man, I can get paid to drink beer and play with my friends at these events. This is what I want to do with my life. Absolutely. So you decided at, at that point. Yeah. Do you remember if your worlds overlapped at all in terms of the... The guitar, you were studying jazz and this bluegrass banjo. Were, were you tempted to play jazz banjo or bluegrass guitar? Did the, Were you doing all of that type of... Um, yeah, I was always mixing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I never became really great at jazz guitar. I was definitely more of a chord guy. Mm-hmm. But um, I love bluegrass guitar. Now I play acoustic. I can't play an electric guitar if, you gave, if, if I tried. <laughs> I'm definitely more of an acoustic guy. But they let me play banjo on a few tunes in the jazz band, like Mac the Knife and stuff that had a Dixieland feel. So that was really cool. And they were always crossing over. But I never became a great jazz soloist, so I wouldn't say that I've used a lot of that in my banjo playing. Okay. Who do you consider a lot of your, uh, or not a lot, but who, who were some of your banjo influences at that point? Um, all the standards like Bella Fleck and Tony Trishka, Bill Keith, because I got to go to a few of their workshops when I was younger and that was really incredible. Just the handouts that Tony Trishka would give you 
um, at these workshops. I think I learned more from those than anything else as a young kid. Yeah, other than your teacher that you that you already mentioned, um, did you have? I mean, obviously you were, you were learning with your your friends and your bandmates. Did did you have other teachers though, or mentors that were actually showing you what to do, or were you largely like self guided? I was definitely largely self guided. I, it's funny because I grew up in North Carolina, but kind of in a bubble of the um, the triangle area. Hmm. So I wasn't necessarily around the really great traditional banjo players. They were around, yeah. but that's not who I was hanging out with because I was more of a hippie kid. Yeah. Um, but in college, Space Station Integration had just moved to town. Cavanaugh was in that so we started hanging out all the time because we were we knew a lot of people in town and he enjoyed hanging out and jamming with us but it was immediately just like holy crap like this is another level of banjo playing right and not traditional at all so got to jam with him a lot and he brought Rex McGee into town and so we all spent a lot of time together those four years in Chapel Hill I would love to hear if you remember any specifics of like things that you learned either from these Trishka handouts or from Ryan or from Rex that maybe even like still influence how you play. The Trishka handouts were just so helpful in every way. I think I still have them, but it was sort rather than being a lot of tunes tabbed out, it was more techniques tabbed out. Hmm. Like what? Like uh playing in sixths i think it is like he would play ode to joy in sixths like um like how to work that into a role and you can use that in your improv like crazy Sure. I just remember that was one of the techniques that he showed in the handouts and then a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. I wish I could remember it all. Right, right, of course. What about stuff from Ryan and Rex? That was not handouts, of course. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> <laughs> They're not tabbing stuff out for you. But uh, one thing I really got into them was with them was learning Celtic melodies. Huh. Because they're so friggin' good at that. And... Like, hearing those guys play Celtic stuff is just mind-blowing, man. Wow. I don't, uh, it's I don't know that I have. Yeah. Rex is incredible at it, and so is Ryan. And I, that was the best way to learn single-string playing for me. Was Celtic melodies? Yeah, like learning different Celtic melodies. I don't think I ever... I did single-string a lot, but learning that is a really great way to work on your single-string. Yeah, with all the ornaments and the triplets. All that the they ornaments them, yeah. and just like learning the way those melodies work. It's kind of a great way to use the major scale and sound Yeah, yeah. authentic, you know. Absolutely. Is there a point where you, you feel like you started to come into your own in, in terms of developing a, a style or maybe even doing things that you weren't hearing other players do? I think kind of around then, because I was, I could do a little bit more bluegrass than some of the other progressive guys. And then uh, 
but it was neat to learn all the progressive stuff. So around then I just started trying to combine the traditional and the progressive. I love the traditional and I was in that band, The Big Fat Gap, and we yeah. always played a lot of traditional. And me and Ryan would kind of swap out when I'd go do something else, he'd be in and I'd always, if he was playing, I'd be like, man, do some traditional, damn it. <laughs> it's funny to say that to someone that good, but uh, right. so I would try to combine them and like sound right in either setting. Yeah. Do you have any other, in terms of like practice tips of, of how people can integrate progressive and traditional playing? Was there, was there something that you worked on specifically? I think it's just, you know, working on your single string a lot to get that up to speed. Know all the roots, you know, make sure you know your scrug stuff and then uh -huh. the melodic and then combining them is just you got to find your own way to do that kind of. Well, I'm going to keep pushing you, man. Like so you you said work on your single string to get that up to speed. Like what what does that look like for young Andy Thorne when you were um like like what specifically were you uh doing so, to shed on that? I think one really good thing to do is if you learn a song, learn it Scruggs, melodic, and single string. Ooh, that's great. Yeah. Learn the melody. And I don't think a lot of players these days do that. If they grew up on jam grass, that's not something you hear that much. You don't hear <laughs> as many fiddle tunes these days. Right. Yeah, like learn the fiddle tunes, Scruggs, melodic, and single string. So now I'll really put you on the spot. Like, is there, is there a fiddle tune that comes to mind that you would be able to, like, demonstrate how each of those flavors sound um, on it maybe big sayota like I don't, I don't even know how to play that one scrugs but i mean you right just kind of that's, do. it's a weird one like that yeah, yeah. how to do that Obviously, I don't remember yeah. that one, but you Something see a like little that. bit of all that stuff. And even a little bit of the Celtic stuff coming right. through those, yeah. those uh, triple yeah, ornaments, nice to do. which works great on that tune. Absolutely. So learn all the fiddle tunes in the, all the different styles, or maybe even like, does that work for bluegrass melodies too, you think, like vocal tunes? I think so, except single string doesn't sound great on vocal tunes, so, mm -hmm. but... On fiddle tunes, it does sound great. Anything that has some Celtic influence. Yeah. So what was the next step for you in terms of like, you've already at that point decided that music is what you really dig doing and you're going to dedicate yourself to it. What's the next step in, in your growth and professional journey? Oh, well, yeah. So in college, I, I had gone out to Durango, Colorado on one of our winter breaks to go skiing. My buddy was working out there at Durango Mountain Resort. And on that trip, we met Anders Beck, who plays Dobro and Green Sky. Yeah. He was working in a music store at the time. Uh -huh. 
And he, we became friends with him just going in the music store. And we're like, oh, we just drove all the way here from North Carolina, <laughs> 32 hours. Got any weed? <laughs> so we became friends. Did he or not? Uh, he may have. <laughs> so he, and he's like, oh, I got this bass player buddy. And that was Travis Book of uh-huh. the String Dusters now. So after becoming best friends with them for four days on that trip, they convinced me to move back out that summer. Wow when I was like 19, I think. And we had a band that whole summer and we ended up winning the Rocky Grass Band Contest and Banjo Contest. During that same summer? Yeah. Wow. This is the banjo that I won, actually. Oh, no kidding. Okay, well, we'll definitely get to talking about so that. So that, thing. I mean, at that point, I was like, wow, okay, this could actually happen. Yeah. You know? So you did. they were successful in convincing you to move out yeah. there, I take it. They convinced me to move out there for the summer. It was in between... Um, semesters at unc okay and it was it was great we just drove around playing gigs it wasn't a great it was a good summer but it wasn't a great gigging summer compared to how much work i had at home but i just wanted i was an outdoorsy kid i'm an old boy scout and i just wanted to go to colorado and hike and camp that's all we did okay but when we won the contest and i won this banjo it made the summer and we went back again the next summer. So even though you weren't as busy as you would have been at home, did you view that as uh, leveling up in, in, in some ways of your own aspirations, I guess? Yeah. I mean, just to, just to do the contest, because that's a really great way for a young player to get on the map. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you want to get on the map, just kind of practice, go to these contests. Even if you don't win, you'll meet so many people. Yeah. And uh, it's a really good way to get started. Uh, do you have any tips for like aspiring contest players? What was your approach and what do you, what do you think? Absolutely not. I got lucky. <laughs> there were only like seven people in the contest. Okay. That year. Rocky Grass is usually full and very competitive. And right. that year it really was not. So. Yeah, the the year I went, I I got my rear end handed to me, and I deserved to have it handed to me. There were yeah. some good players there. There were some good players, but I don't know if it was the type of competition that would be there now. Okay, so got it. That was cool. Won so, the banjo. So you didn't necessarily put like a ton of time into crafting all I of did. your arrangements. Oh no, I practiced all summer for that okay. contest. All summer. And so even though it maybe wouldn't be as relevant now, what was, what was your approach to making a good arrangement for a contest? Right. Just combining the melody with a little bit of good improv, really, mm-hmm. and not doing too much improv, you know, just play the melody really well, have yeah. some scrugs, some melodic, and some single string. Yeah, That's gotcha. Getting those three things in there. I think you've got to show people that you can do all of those. Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out the courses they have, and this is just for banjo. You could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and contemporary bluegrass banjo 
with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high-quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS strings. GHS strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS strings. So... Go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. Is it fast forwarding too much to start talking about salmon? Was that the next big step for you? Probably. I did, uh, I joined Larry Keel for a few years. Mm. That was really cool to play with all of his musical buddies. They're just amazing musicians, and I learned so much in those years. That might have been when I learned the most, honestly. If Are you able to describe what you think you learned from those people? Just, like, they really know the roots, you know, hmm. and they're from Virginia, a lot of his musical peers. And just Larry loves to jam, and he, he loves really cool fiddle tunes that are obscure, yeah. and he just like learning all those different things that I hadn't really learned that much. I learned a lot of that stuff from Rex and Ryan, too, but with Keel, it was just another level of playing with him and all his friends. I mean, you said they have a deep appreciation for the roots, but you're from North Carolina. Do you feel like even it was even a deeper level than what you were able to uh, appreciate for... I think so. Own. I was definitely more of a hippie jam band kid. Okay. So I hadn't been around the roots that much, honestly. What What do you think it is that you weren't quite appreciating having, having this uh, jam band kid approach? I think I always appreciated that music. I just wasn't necessarily around it as much. Hmm. And just getting around it in that way was really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I met Billy Constable around then. Really learned a lot from him. He was more into uh, traditional banjo playing, kind of rather than single string and stuff. Okay. Just, yeah, just learned a lot in those years. But it wore me out on the road. I hadn't been on the road like that before. So after two years, I was like, I'm done with this. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, I moved back. I mean, I'd been living at home that whole time. So I kind of spent a couple years off the road waiting for the right gig to come around. Okay. And then Emmett Nershi band popped up right. through Chris Pandolfi. job and he just totally handed it to me i still thank chris all the time for that we were always good banjo buddies and uh that worked out great and i moved to colorado uh-huh then a couple years later i was in salmon also yeah which uh, there's obvious connection there going from drew's other band right so you so you kind of had a me and drew quite, became quite close an and yeah. he he got me in salmon so that was awesome yeah so t- i mean it, for anybody who doesn't know leftover salmon the what's what's the phraseology polyethnic polyethnic cajun slam grass there's food left out in the kitchen it's probably still good look at that pipe it's smoking we're gonna need more wood happy as i laying all over buddy you know that's a shame there are thirsty drunks in china who never would be so lame finish your beer that's one thing we should do The brewer would appreciate it You know I would too Stay all night if you wanna But let's make it perfectly clear If you're gonna do some drinking Finish your beer So if that sounds like something that's interesting to you, you should definitely check that out. But suffice to say, it's a pretty big left turn from playing with Virginia guys who really love the roots and stuff, and, and, and that was great. But this is way different, right? Totally. Yeah, getting used to plugging in loud is something that took years to figure out. Yeah, tell me... Tell me all about that. What were the things that you needed to adjust either in your playing or your expectations? Um, I don't even think I had a pickup in my banjo before uh-huh. getting that gig because I just never plugged in back then. Right. Ever. <laughs> so I got, I have the Fishman Rare Earth in here. Yeah. And it's, I've just stuck with it the whole time. I know a bunch of other stuff has come out, but it all sounds about the same to me. Now, do you think is the main difference just a sheer volume thing with the pickup? But I mean, I'm I'm imagining that there are a lot of other differences in the way you're going to play with a drummer and a keyboard player and a electric bass player and yeah, it's it's just a whole different. Well, it's just weird to get used to playing your banjo when it doesn't sound like your banjo. Mm -hmm. You know, 
and we played the station in the other night and we got to use mics and play and i was like oh my god i'm so much better when my banjo sounds good but yeah. that's the nature of playing loud you're well, not going to sound as yeah. good as you want to oh man but uh you just do your best so i i would love to hear like what were some skills that you needed to add to your repertoire to play with a band like leftover salmon cuz they're doing polyethnic cajun slam grass and yeah. it's it's not your down the middle Blue yeah, stuff. just like doing lengthy solos oh, and yeah. how to like make an arc of your solo at the right time. I would love to talk a blow bunch up. about this. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get into that. Um, you just, I mean, really, you just, for me, I start, I usually end up at the top of the neck. <laughs> I like to get up there. Plus, I think it sounds a little bit better plugged in up, up high on the neck and it hmm. cuts more through the band. So that's where I usually end up as I'm, getting to the top of the arc of the solo. But right. at the beginning, you just start with a little melody of the song, maybe, or, yeah, you just start slower and build intensity until hopefully the band is peaking with you and you get to this spot and then the tension releases and something else happens. Yeah, I mean, like, let's take an example or something like that. Like, uh, one song that I really enjoyed last night was one that you... I don't know what the song is, but it's one that you sing and it kind of goes back and forth between this reggae thing and, and right. like the, the double time yeah. feel. What What is that song? That's called Morning Sun. Okay. Is that your song? Yeah, that's one I wrote. Oh, that's great, man. Nice. I loved it. It's cool. Thank you. Um, but that's it, been cool. Like I've, I recorded it separately and it was just bluegrass tempo the whole time, but we salmon it. Is that <laughs> yeah. a word? Salmonified? It is now. Salmonized? <laughs> Salmoned. Yeah. Salmonized. That's, yeah. Ooh. Um, but yeah, we, so it does, it breaks down to like a reggae groove and then goes double time again and it goes through all sorts of chord changes. Right. Yeah. It had a lot to it. Yeah. Um, that one's really fun. And so I guess using that as an example, like what are some ideas that you would use for your, the arc of your solo, like you said, especially now that you have to go through not only a, quite a taking up quite a bit of time having this arc uh, and different chords, but you're also taking it through different like rhythmic yeah. feels. What like how do you approach that and like give us I, an idea? I think of, I of just what you start. It's, you know, so if you're starting over more of a reggae groove, I start with some more bendy stuff. You know, some bluesy. So it's an A minor. <laughs> a peak at the top <laughs> yeah. get up the neck and, and everyone else has been there uh, you know hopefully it all you. happens yeah. at the right time it usually does if you have a good band yeah yeah for sure let's talk about since it's such a big 
part of what you do now. Let's talk about improvising in general. Do you have any tips for how somebody could get better at that? Yes. I I like I love improvising and melodic. I love melodic banjo playing, but to mm -hmm. me it takes way too much practicing and I do not like doing that. <laughs> um it's really annoying to work out stuff melodic banjo. Like yeah. you don't have to do that when you play guitar. It's right. linear and you can just play stuff. So yeah. I I love melodic. So I I definitely used use more um sort of closed positions but using three finger rolls on those. So closed melodic positions. So sort of, like, yeah, like chords. So I just always say, know the neck. Hmm. If you know the neck all the way up and down and then combine different roll patterns, you can improvise. So what would a closed position look like? Like give us a... Like on G, you know. And that's just easy. St you don't have to like work anything out. That you know, that's what's nice about it. Yeah, and I notice you also use a lot of you know fingering on the fifth string to give you that that creates kind of a more of a closed right. position when you're. I don't use my that. thumb on the fifth string at all, which is something weird about me. I just never did that, and now I can't make it feel right. I think it limits me for some of the riffs that I see these guys do. Like Noam Pakelny does that constantly. He's always got his thumb on the fifth uh, string. Yeah. I just, that's never felt comfortable. But I think it makes me sound different because all the progressive guys do that. And it gives, it sort of gives the same riffs, this sound. You know, it's really comforting to hear you say that because I'm, I tend toward the same thing yeah. as you do. And then lately I've kind of convinced myself like, no, I just need to buckle down and figure this whole wrapping my thumb thing out. Like there, there then must you'll be sound something the to same. it. You'll sound the same. If I sound the same as Gnome, that might be a, a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, but <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I, I definitely do it in a few of my arrangements that I realized I cannot do without it. Like, how does that go? Oh, wow. I just couldn't pull that off without my thumb, you know, because yeah. you need all your fingers on the neck. Yeah. But it just feels crappy to me. And so I, I mostly do the fifth string fretting with my left hand, just like my index finger. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of Gnome's thing just has to do with his, like, physiology of his hand. He's, right. He's got these kind of, like, big, wide hands, and I, yeah. I think that's just easier for him. Right, or maybe. Like and a radius neck helps with that, and I don't play a radius neck, yeah. so. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh... Speaking of that, maybe let's go through your gear a bit. You know, I know you said you won this instrument at Rocky Grass. What is it? This is a Gibson RB75 Crow model, and I guess it's a it's a special edition with a light. I don't. I think all Crow models have a lighter weight tone ring, but huh. I used to get Snuffy Smith to work on my banjo, and he worked on this quite a bit. And he loved it. He he said he had helped design the tone ring, and oh, cool! He thought it was a really great addition of the different JD Crows that have come out. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've seen that one. That's uh, it was before the blackjack was the right. blackjack, and it was just a crow model that Gibson made at one point. Oh. But it's friggin' awesome. That's so cool. I've broken the neck six times. Oh no! Yeah. And it's still is this an airplane glued together, an airline type of few stage thing? mishaps, some airplane, oh. some knocking it down. Oh, geez. You know. But it's still got the tone. It's, 
It's been glued back together every time, and I can see the mini cracks. My luthier doesn't think it matters, so. Yeah, that's great. I mean. I've, mine's been decapitated once and a half. Yeah. Once it wasn't quite, uh, you know, full decapitation, but I, yeah, I, I wouldn't know if you didn't, you know, if I wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, so is everything on that stock, or do you have other, you know, customizations that stock. you've gone through with that? Yeah. No kidding. Even the even the. Oh, I do have stainless steel frets. Okay. Yeah, that huge recommended to anyone. Get them. Yeah. I would just go through frets. They're always, you know, they'd always be buzzing and huge indentions and stuff. So this has been a game. I haven't gotten a fret job in like four years. Amazing. Dude, get them. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I mean, I do have whatever this bridge is. I don't even know. CS. Everybody uses these. It's a Sosabee bridge. Yeah, Sosabee. It's great. Cool. How about... uh, picks oh i use the sammy sheeler picks okay huge improvement for me night and day i'll never go back to national style picks and when did you start with them i think a few years ago but i used to have just major cuticle problems Hmm. living in colorado it's so dry my cuticles would always be cracked and torn bloody after being out there and the dryness, playing festivals all the time, uh-huh. something about the way these sit on your cuticles—they really—I think maybe the Nationals have two holes right in that area. Could be as right. Looking but, at, I don't yeah, know, but uh, they just—they save my fingers. Some, yeah. They're forty dollars for a pair. They're not cheap, but to me, it's totally worth it. Yeah, as long as you don't highly step recommend on them those. Or whatever. Yeah. And then I use the old clown puke. Is that a national Golden Gate or something? Thumb pick? I think it's Golden Gate. Golden yeah. Gate. Yeah. I've tried to use blue chips since everyone likes them so much, but they don't work for me. Yeah, gotcha. So is the, is the cuticle issue the main th- difference that you notice with those sheilers, or does it also have a different feel or sound that you like, or, or maybe it was just all about the comfort? I think it is really the comfort, and mm-hmm. they're a little bit thicker possibly, like maybe a little bit stronger, and I like that. They hold their shape a little better. Okay. They definitely, it takes a lot to bend them out of shape, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it takes some getting used to. They're a little different. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I'm sure tonally maybe the Nationals are the best, but I play plugged in, so I could give a shit about tone. (laughs) And, And I mean, there's something to be said for if the picks sound better, but you're playing in discomfort. Yeah. That's too much of a I compromise feel. anyway. If like, you're playing well, it doesn't matter if you're playing into a good mic or a crappy mic. Yeah. If you're playing well, it's going to be good. Right, right. Uh, what about the rest of like your stage and or recording gear? What's uh, um, I just switched that? to a Tone Dexter. Oh, wow. And I really like that. I was so tired of what my banjo sounded like. I have a t- I usually leave a towel in my banjo, like a smaller hand towel. Yeah. It's, uh, um, right. To help it get louder. But... Uh, I was using more of the grace. Everybody uses the grace. It's really great. I just don't think it sounds good on a banjo. Hmm. And anytime I would hear any kind of video that used a board feed or any recordings that did that, I just thought it sounded terrible. And the grace gives you a little mic modeling. You, I mean, sorry, the tone, the tone dexter. Right, you, right. you play your banjo into a microphone and it records that and somehow incorporates that into your pickup tone. Yeah. So when I hear that on a recording compared to what the other thing sounded like, it's night and day. Uh-huh. It still sounds pickup-y, but a little bit more natural. Yeah. And you did you say that that's a Fishman pickup that you... Yeah, the Fishman Rare Earth. 
But what I've done with this inside is a game changer. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you want to look. I can just tell you. it's uh, If you've seen these, it clips on both coordinator rods with a battery pack. That's a lot of stuff on your coordinator rods. Mm -hmm. It kills your acoustic tone. Hmm. Huge bummer. You know, yeah, that's that's a big reason I haven't gotten the Fishman, but I'm really curious to hear your yeah. solution. Um, me and my luthier at Big John at Wood Songs in Boulder, I love that man. He's the greatest. Um, he we cut the we cut the whole battery pack off, hmm. so we cut the metal, and he made this little clamp that clamps that little black square onto one coordinator rod. Okay. And then we have the battery pack goes to the side where we have a little Velcro thing that it sits in. On the side of the rim? Yeah. On the, oh, yeah. Because that doesn't affect the tone. The side yeah, of the side rim so really. Heavy, it's not going to. Um, so that was a game changer. So now my banjo sounds good acoustically. You actually heard the, the difference once Huge. you did that. Yeah, man. To have a giant thing clipped li- on both of your coordinates, yeah, to it opened up, opened back up. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I will. I would love to look at that if if we yeah. if we have a minute. Yeah, it was not easy to do, <laughs> but I I recommend it. I've told some of my other banjo playing friends in Colorado, and I think John's like Jesus. You want me to do this again? <laughs> but I just it's, I was like Everyone's I cannot have my banjo sound like that when yeah. I'm just jamming, and I don't want to take this thing in and out. Isn't that terrible? That's yeah. one of the really annoying things about banjo pickups. Check this out. You see how small oh, that yeah. is? It's just very small. Yeah, it's just one 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 thing. little thing, whereas it used to clip on both coordinator rods with the weight of a battery, and all of that weight just dampens it yeah, for sure. more and more. So, yeah, instantly this setup opened it back up. So now I can play acoustically and still have it sound good enough. Uh-huh. If I was doing a recording and I really cared about my tone, I might dismantle this whole thing, but I don't. I just did the whole new Salmon record and left it in. Oh, no kidding. Because I thought it sounded fine. And, yeah, that, wow, that's great. Yeah, I had not seen anything like that with a This with is a definitely before. one of a kind. That's cool. Part of the reason I've never switched. Plus, I just haven't heard anything sound any better mm-hmm. any other pickups. Well, and especially once you, I guess, once you get the tone dexter involved, it kind of mitigates a lot of those yeah, things anyway. I think, I mean, I'm still undecided if it's better, but I'm just desperate to try anything to sound better. Yeah. Do you happen to remember offhand what mic you used to pro do the programming? Just whatever, whatever we had. Yeah. I'm okay. not picky about that. It was a, it is a small diaphragm condenser because that's what they recommend. Okay. And that sounded better than a large diaphragm condenser. Got it. Got but it. I don't remember what it was. Any other secrets to playing exactly like Andy Thorne. This this episode's about you, so yeah, just just in case I forgot to to say anything or any other like playing advice or things cool things that you're working on that I would yeah, just combine your Scruggs melodic and single string and mm-hmm. I'd like once you kind of create your own combination of those things, you will have your own style, I think, and it's yeah. that's fun. And know the neck. You yeah, know, yeah, if you know sure. the neck, you can improv, and that's really all it comes down to. You don't have to learn, like, melodic scales up the neck to improv. You can kind of use closed positions, mm-hmm. and it still sounds good. Yeah, that's cool. Other than what we already talked about with just the the overall sound of the band, what are some, like, difficult things that you've had to adapt to with, with playing with Salmon? Are there, are there other challenges in a band like that? that just, yeah, the volume mostly the volume. the volume man it's so loud <laughs> um 
I, I, we've, we've used in-ears in the past and I've, I went back to monitors. Now I'm back on in-ears and I'm very mm. glad because I can always hear myself well. Well, what were, what were the decisions that led you to going back and forth like that? More just like how much gear we wanted to lug around. Mm. We fly a lot. And when you do in-ears, you have to bring these two giant boxes that do all that stuff. So yeah. it's just a lot of stuff to drag around. Plus it's more fun to jam without in-ears for sure. Okay. It, it feels like you're jamming. You're not like doing this gig where you have in ears in your ears uh-huh. or something. But um, but it's a back. huge. It's a game changer, and you can get you can hear your banjo really well without feeding back in the monitor, which mm-hmm. is nice. So that allows me to stuff less than I used to. Yeah. I, to get really loud on stage in an amp and a monitor, you have to be pretty stuffed. Yep. You have to put quite a bit of stuff in your chamber. Yeah, for sure. But now I can stuff less, and they can get it loud in the house, and I can hear myself in the ears. And it, but it hasn't subtracted too much from your jamming enjoyment to, no. to make it intolerable. No. So, I mean, lugging those two big racks, was, so was that more of a band decision than you deciding that you didn't want to do that anymore? I really don't remember. Okay. I always go with the flow. Yeah. Right. But I'm glad I'm doing it now. Yeah, I'm cool. glad doing ears because of the volume on, on stage. Speaking of volume, you, you also play some electric banjo. Maybe just yeah. uh, give, a, give a little rundown of what that's all about and how you decide when to use that and, and how that, that adjusts your, adjust your playing. That thing is the best electric banjo on the market. I love it. It's an Ian Davidson instrument. Huh. I don't even know if he's making very many these days. I got really lucky. A friend of mine was close with him when I first joined Salmon, and he got me that banjo. It was one of the first ones he made. And where is so, he out of? Arcata, California. Okay. But he worked for Wildwood Banjos Oh yeah. before that. And uh, he's an amazing luthier. And this, this banjo is so great because it weighs about two pounds. <laughs> that, that's a nice change. So that, just, that helps for, me decide when to play it. It's like, oh, I'm tired. Okay, I'm going to play it. <laughs> It actually sounds pretty damn good on bluegrass. So all those backflips that you do on stage, that's usually when you're holding that because yes. you're not weighed down. I have been Got inverted it. on stage before. Oh, wow. Let's hear about this. Oh, it's an inversion table, but, you know. And you used it on stage? Yes. Why? Because it was funny. Okay. That does sound funny. <laughs> because it was funny. Was there an occasion, like a, a Halloween show, where you had to put on some theatrics oh, no. or something? There was just an inversion table in the green room, which <laughs> you don't usually see in a green room. <laughs> no, no. But definitely did that holding the two-pound banjo, because gravity wants to take it down towards your head at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you were playing while you were inverted? Yes, yes. Oh, that's it incredible. It was fantastic. That's I'm. I think we're off topic now. There must be YouTubes on. on There is one, actually. Folks, we got to tell you, the whole bluegrass world is upside down now with the passing of the late, great Earl Scruggs. And to prove just how upside down it is, Andy Thorne, for the first time ever tried anywhere, folks, please don't try this at home. He's a trade professional. Andy Thorne is going to pick the Foggy Mountain Breakdown upside down for your dining and dancing pleasure. All right. Kick it off, baby.
we can link that for you guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it. Um, but the Ian Davidson Electric Game Changer, I love my Crossfire as well, but it has a lot of sustain, so you have to play it kind of like an electric guitar. Yeah. And this one, you can play it like a banjo. You can do rolls. Like I was playing it on that tune that you mentioned, the Morning yeah. Sun tune, and that one has like very fast rolls. If I was doing that on a normal electric, it would all just blur It'd together. Be a mess, It'd right. be a mess of sustain. Yeah. So that's what's different about the Ian Davidson. Nice. Yeah. And there's, but there is still a an electric pickup in it, right? A there magnetic is. pickup. So there's you, a you Shatton. You can kind of dial that in if you. Yeah. If there's you a Shatton pickup, and there's a cool rails. It's a humbucker, mm -hmm. and you blend the two. Yeah, that's it's really the best. Cool. I love this banjo. Bella Fleck actually bought one at some point for his tour of Africa because he needed something really light, hmm. and it kind of fits that music well. Yeah, right, right. Um, I can't recommend those enough. Don't know if he's selling many these days, though. Yeah, I'm going to have to look it up. You, you know. Also really recommend the Crossfire. It's amazing. You're going to single-handedly give... Uh, What's what's your luthier guy's name? Big Bob. Big John. Big John. Big John at Wood Songs between, in Boulder. Between him and Ian, you're gonna get, Ian. get them flooded. Yeah, flooded with it. John's as busy as he can be. He does not need any <laughs> no, extra work. No more weird banjo requests. There's enough banjo yeah. players in Boulder. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, do we need to talk about the the Fox and and your life as a social media and major media influencer do i mean i know you've had to talk that about is that all quite i talk bit, about so, now yeah i figured so i've i've, I've sort of been reluctant to, to even bring <laughs> i it haven't up. been to many festivals since the whole fox viral and now i can't walk around at a festival nobody used to give a shit about me before but now they're <laughs> just like dude the fox guy now there's a cute animal involved everything yeah, now changes it's a little different I embrace it. I love it. I'm like, I did it to myself, so I can't complain about it. Yeah, I'm the one who posted that shit once a week. Man, I'm I'm just happy that somehow, somewhere, more people are seeing someone play a banjo. Right. So that's, that's. I mean, somebody said that this is like, it's giving the banjo more mainstream exposure than ever. Exactly. Just because of this video. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, Anything it's really that does cool. That is, and I have nice. an album coming out around all that music that I play to the Fox. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And are there personal favorites that, that the Fox has? Yeah, just that, the tune from the viral video. Okay. Um, it was just something I made up kind of on the spot because it's in an open claw hammer tuning and you can just make up stuff for days in that. And this, like, the, there's like 14,000 comments on this video oh and all from people in all languages all over the world and they're all like what is this song i need this in my life or That's something incredible so i finally recorded it and it's going to be on the album songs of the sunrise fox you worked hard for decades to build your career and all along all it took was you know, yeah some some wildlife homemade stuff is always the best like you put so much work into certain things that you do <laughs> but this little phone that don't video mean anything, no yeah. i mean it's just because it looks like everything else yeah. You know what I mean? Everything is pro and well done these days, but mm -hmm. sometimes there's a more mojo and more life and vibe in a little phone video. So now I do those videos at sunrise um, a few times a week just with a phone, and they do better than things I'll edit or like that we have a pro videographer doing. And pay for. And yeah, pay for. Right. And it's just because it's pure, it's it's honest, and there's not much to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think you're right. Uh, tell everyone where they can track you down and find your 
gig dates or order the the Fox CD whenever that comes out? You know, uh, give, give us the, the internet stuff. AndyThornMusic.com. Everything is there. Yeah. And go to my YouTube. Got a YouTube page, Thornhub. <laughs> Thorn. yeah. Go stream Thornhub. <laughs> Don't typo that when you, when you enter it. Is though. this safe for work? Yeah. Okay, good. You won't be judged. <laughs> okay. But they might see the logo and misread it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and always love hearing you play. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Extra special thanks to today's Patreon supporter. That's Joe Cunningham. Don't forget about the VIP Lounge coming up on July 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Sign up for all of that by going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. The song clips you heard in this episode were Thornado by Andy Thorne, Kazana by Space Station Integration, I Come From the Country by the Emmett Nershi Band, Finish Your Beer by Leftover Salmon, yes sir, and the Upside Down Foggy Mountain Breakdown, also by Leftover Salmon. That's going to do it for me. I hope you all have a great rest of your July. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you.